Captain, we have them. We've established Transporter Lock, the Star Trek Discovery podcast. Join Ken and Sabriel each week as they explore strange new episodes, seek out new plots and new characters, and boldly go where no podcast has gone before. Hello and welcome to Transporter Lock, episode number 70 for Saturday, December 19th, 2020. I'm your co-host, Chief Engineer, Ken Gagney. And joining me as always... I am the Guardian of Forever! I think I've heard that voice before. It goes back decades and decades. Welcome back, Guardian! <laughs> uh, hi, I'm Captain Sabriel Maston. And this is not their third take of our introduction. No, not at all. <laughs> And joining us for the fourth time on Transporter Lock, for the first time to talk about a show other than Picard, is the chief archivist in the Federation Archives, Amanda. Hello, Amanda. Hello, hello. <laughs> Welcome back to Transporter Lock. It's a yeah. pleasure to hear your voice. It's wonderful to be back. We were just chatting before the show. The last time we were talking Star Trek, we were also watching Star Trek together yeah. in the same physical space. Weird. Wild. <laughs> yeah, the before times were so long ago. Yeah. It 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 feels like a lifetime ago. It does. My gosh. But we but we uh, for those who haven't heard those previous episodes of this show, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, so my name is Amanda. I am a librarian, and um, I have been a Star Trek fan for as long as I can remember. My parents were Star Trek fans back with uh, the original series. And we used to watch it as a family together. So I really grew up watching Star Trek. And we were very excited about this new show, a little dubious about this British actor going to be a captain. How strange. Um, before we really knew anything about Patrick Stewart. So we, uh, we were very excited about that. I remember watching the, um, the first episode ever when it aired live um, and just being so excited about it. So yeah, I've been a, a lifelong Star Trek fan and I'm very, very excited to get to talk Star Trek with other Star Trek people. You know, it's nice to know that even though you and I didn't meet until decades later, that on Monday, September 28th, 1987, you and I were doing the same thing at the same time. We were watching the same show. Yeah. Yeah. Probably on the same Boston channel. Would it have been WLVI or... Oh yeah, that we were definitely. Wa I was watching it. So my family, um, we didn't have we didn't have cable, anything fancy like that. Um, and sometimes the reception in our living room was not great, so we had to watch it upstairs in my parents' bedroom because the antenna on that TV had a better angle out a window. Wow. Yeah. You have suffered for your love of this craft. <laughs> so it was, it, it, I mean, it took work to watch Star Trek and we walked, you know, uphill both ways in the snow. <laughs> well, things that are worth doing are rarely easy. In, indeed. <laughs> gotta, gotta suffer for your Star Trek. It's no, true. You shouldn't have to suffer. For Star, Trek. <laughs> Star Trek should be a joy. So we are here this week to talk about season one, episode two of Star Trek Carl. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this Carl spinoff. He's great. I know, right? And Can't he's from Boston. Carl. Yeah, he is. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea about that until you pointed out on Twitter. I am, uh, but yeah. I am a font of useless knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say useless. You're on this show. That's pretty useful. A, a font of random knowledge, we'll say There that. you go. That That is some of my favorite people are the most random. 
I actually, I, so I, I run Dungeons and Dragons, not to make this a D&D podcast, but I run D&D for work um, with a bunch of kids. And it's really fun to get to do that as part of your job. And the other night when we were playing, um, I was sort of giving them some trivia about something that had pertinence to the game. And then something else came up. We ended up talking about like radioactive mushrooms. <laughs> and um, they were like, how do you know all this? And I was like, well, it's kind of my job to be curious and learn a lot of little things. So yeah, that is it. My job is to be curious. Hmm. I think you would be even if you weren't being paid. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but it it helps. Oh yes, yes. You are a curious person, Amanda. <laughs> <laughs> In so many ways. Yeah, it's true. Take that as you will. <laughs> All right. So there's a lot happening in the show. We just made a reference, a couple of them, to Carl, who really comes Gosh, up at yeah. the end of the episode. There was also the whole mirror universe. Where shall we start talking about this episode of Discovery, season three, episode 10, Terra Firma, part two? I think we should start right at the credits. Yeah. yeah. Was, how about we talk about that credit sequence? I watched the credits for once. <laughs> <laughs> just once. And what made you know to do that? Well, well, usually if you skip right past it, you wouldn't have seen it in the first place. Uh, normally, the skip intro button doesn't start until a few seconds in. So I always see like the first five, ten seconds. Gotcha. Uh, and this one here, all of a sudden, everything's blue and upside down. <laughs> it's like a photo negative. It's great. Uh-huh. Yeah. We were, we cool. were in the upside down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was just cool. And that's the only thing they did. They didn't do like the whole Enterprise completely new intro or anything like that. But I thought that was pretty slick. I, I liked that it was different because I the Enterprise um, intro when Enterprise went to the Mirror Universe, um, I knew to expect it because my my friend who was making me watch Enterprise, not that it was a hard sell, um, had said to me, "You're having a really bad day. You should watch the Mirror episodes of Enterprise ahead of time. You <laughs> don't need to have watched anything else for this to make sense." And I was like okay, you're right, I am having a bad day and I need some Mirror Universe nonsense. And it started up and I was like, oh my god, it's a totally new intro. (laughs) It's so good. And he told me that when he first saw it, he wasn't prepared. And he was like, oh my, did I slip into another universe? What is going (laughs) on here? He was so surprised not to hear that it's been a long (laughs) He. Yeah, so I I do like when they sort of play a little with the credits for that. Although I, I I am glad that Star Trek Discovery did something, but I gotta say Enterprise wore it better. <laughs> yes, yes, I would agree with that. <laughs> yeah, Enterprise. Yeah, they they nailed it. Yeah, I feel like Discovery. It was just a matter of flipping two switches, like, oh, let's change the color, invert about the x-axis, and we're done. As opposed to, let's find some original imagery, let's find some original music, let's really drive home that this is different. It, but the whole thing wasn't in the mirror universe. So, And I, I have thoughts on that. But um, I think if, if the whole episode, if they were going to be doing everything was mirror universe and everyone is from the mirror universe... That would be a little different, mm. but that's true. The episode was sort of split. It was largely in the mirror universe, but not all of it. And we don't know what she doesn't know what her place is 
in the mm. mirror universe anymore. Well, th- one thing guys. about this episode that's similar to Enterprise is it's these are the only two times where what's happening in the mirror universe doesn't involve anybody from our universe. Yeah. There's no crossover in this episode or in the Enterprise episode in A Mirror Darkly. Yeah, it, it's not like DS9 or anything. Um, it's just very much, no, this is this is what's going on over there right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Last week we hypothesized, like, it's like a, like, I put it out there, it's like a, it, I feel like a pocket dimension kind of thing where nothing really mm-hmm. seemed like, and now I think more like, no, it's just an alternate timeline I don't know. It's yeah. still, it could be anything depending on whatever they want to use it for. But now it felt more like an alternate timeline mirror universe and less a pocket. I guess it technically still would be a pocket, but well, uh, not Carl, just in her head. Carl said you weren't being sent there to change things. You were sent there to be tested, right? Yeah. You were being weighed, I think was his terminology, mm-hmm. which I thought was a really interesting terminology because it immediately made me think of Egyptian mythology. Um, I don't know how much either of you are familiar with like Egyptian, um, ancient Egyptian mythology and how the dead were judged, but their hearts, the, the myth is your heart would be weighed on a scale against a feather. And if it was heavier, then that was bad. I did not know that. Or if I had it long since forgotten it. Um, it's just, it's one of those things. It stayed with me from reading Rainbow. <laughs> you know where I learned that was the Sesame Street special, Don't Eat the Pictures. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's in a it's in an Aliki book. It's in uh, Mummies Made in Egypt, I think. And mm-hmm. I think Reading Rainbow had done Mummies Made in Egypt at one yeah. point. That I definitely saw it. Yeah. <laughs> in Don't Eat P- the Pictures, they are in the Metropolitan Museum of Art, and Big Bird meets right. an Egyptian prince. That's and ultimately, gosh. the prince's heart is weighed against one of Big Bird's feathers. Yeah. Oh, wow. And, he, and he's found to. God, you're uh, saying that now, I'm remembering it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so the kid is found uh, not wanting and is able to move on. That's morbid. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it was yeah. the weighing of the heart was part of it. So I, I immediately thought, because there's this like ancient Roman thing going on in the Terran Empire that they've got this very, you know, they actually mention like Rome and the emperor, empire and all of that. And um, I thought, wow, so they're really like, they're doing this ancient Roman thing. And then you've got Carl being like, you were being weighed. And I was like, oh, he was weighing her heart. Mm-hmm. He was checking to see whether her heart has gotten any lighter. But he also implied that what happened in that pocket dimension Makes will continue difference. to reverberate once she is gone because Saru will continue to help people. Yeah, she she let a Kalpian go through for her eye. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe it's like he's just leaving the Sims running while you go out and do errands. <laughs> and so it's not real, but it's not fake. <laughs> or maybe th- that reality has branched away from the other Terran reality. Exactly. You know, I think that's what it has to be because if that if there was only one Terran timeline, then Georgiou would be dead. Right. And clearly she's not. She's here. Yeah. Well, you we know, don't and, know and, where and she is right now. In well, theory. 
<laughs> we, yeah. I mean, we figure we'll find out when she gets her own spinoff. Exactly. Which oh, am I looking forward to? <laughs> so, Cannot wait. That kind of goes up to the next thing that I talk about. Like, it, it was much later in the episode where most of the crew thinks she's dead, dead. Yeah. Well, Michael, Saru, and her know different. Uh, but that funeral scene at the end did not feel earned to me. Yeah, I saw your notes on that. Uh, it felt off. I, I don't know how to put it into words exactly, but like, did most of these people even have interactions with her on the show? I mean, clearly they could have off camera. But even if they did, like, this didn't feel right. And maybe it's just because we know she's getting her own show. And I don't know, like, as a viewer, and I mean, but as a viewer, I don't feel like it's earned, even if it's something that would happen in universe and makes sense to happen. It just didn't feel right to me. It felt off. It- well, they knew this character longer than they knew Nan, who did not get this kind of send off. And they also knew some sort of emperor or Captain Georgiou. Now, Burnham said that what I feel for you belongs to you. But not everybody necessarily had the opportunity to distinguish them, uh, this mirror and prime Georgiou. And maybe some of the crew is just like, it's nice to be around a Georgiou. And now we, they have to experience losing her again. Yeah, I feel like this is um, one of the consequences of having short seasons. And it, when you've got a long season of a show when you've got a season that goes on for you know like 20 episodes you can show some little interactions between characters that don't necessarily drive a plot but do drive character development for minor characters and this is i i think a weakness of the short season format in general and i don't mean i want a whole lot of episodes of filler but when you've got a longer season, there are a few more opportunities within each episode to have little interactions between characters that don't drive the overarching plot. And you can get away with that sometimes when you've got, you know, everyone working down in engineering. So, you know, you've got Adira and Stamets having, you know, a conversation and that makes sense. And that lets you have some character development. Um, But how many members of the bridge crew do we still not really know terribly well? Because they've only had one or two little moments. And if we had a longer season, maybe there would be more opportunities for them to have had interactions with this different Philippa. But we have to be so focused on plot all the time that those little grace notes of character development don't always get to happen you just sort of assume that they're happening off screen Mm -hmm. which is a it's a pity but also like i said i don't want episodes full of filler just to bulk out a season well it's also partly that this is not really an ensemble show like previous star treks were you know on next generation you could have an entire episode about data learning to dance or about chief o'brien getting married and yeah. you're not going to have that with Bryce on this episode, for example. Yeah, you're not going to get that, you know. I mean, you're getting a little bit of it with, like, Detmer. Yep. A little. But even that ends up feeling like 
oh, good, they've handled that now. <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. know? Yeah, I mentioned that before, too. It's like the TV version of going working through PTSD. Yeah. Uh, like, like, we know in real life she'll be going through a lot. We know the feelings, but TV, and we only have so much time, we have to do it in this very lightly touching upon it. Because yeah. uh, she's not a main character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or even Nilsson, who was supposed to replace Arium. I feel like Mirror Nilsson got more lines than Nilsson ever has. I agree. In fact, when I first saw her in the Mirror Universe, I was like, who the hell is that? Right? <laughs> like, who is she? And there may be people listening to this podcast who are like, who's Nilsson? Yeah, who's that? What does that uh, even refer to? Yeah. Uh, and I even granted, Twitter- her yeah, hair color it. was different, but right. Longer, yeah. <laughs> uh, even going to the shorter season, like I liked these two episodes. I enjoyed them a lot. They don't really feel like they fit here as a major two-parter, and I feel like this was this set of two episodes was hurt because they weren't aired together. Hmm. Uh, like the the they really felt like they should have been released the same week to me. So you're not questioning the length, you're questioning the release schedule. Yeah, and I, I really liked it, but overall, this feels like it does more for Section 31 show than it does for Discovery Season 3. I agree. Like, And it's not like I don't like the episodes, it just didn't feel like it fit here to me. Uh, something, it just felt very off. Like Usually, two-parters are huge deals, and this felt more like a two-parter because we need to get rid of Giorgio. Yeah, we need to spin this off. Uh-huh. And it's not that it's bad. It just didn't feel right to me. I I felt like it was a very um, – as a two-parter, they it felt like they were trying to do too much in two episodes because they didn't completely abandon the um, distress call plot line. They did have things going on on the Discovery that – weren't happening in the mirror universe and it felt like a, a diversion but also like they were still trying to to keep that other storyline going i thought they're juggling it felt like they were juggling a, a few too many balls um and i realize that's only two storylines but they're both big storylines so mm-hmm. it, i really liked them i i you know i agree with sabriel i i liked both episodes they were very good but it didn't feel like this was a two-parter episode that furthered the main plot, which is how you normally assume a two-parter episode is going to fit into the structure of a season. Well, it's not unusual for shows to have what are called backdoor pilots, where yeah. you know instead of having a single episode that they show the networks to see if it gets picked up, they have an, an episode of an existing show focus on one of the characters or even introduce a new character who then goes off and gets their own show. And so even if there isn't a Section 31 spinoff, which we know there will be, this is at least a proof of concept that they can show, because once Georgiou went through that portal into the Muir universe, until the point where she died and came back, there were no interruptions. They never broke focus to go look at what was happening on the Discovery. Yeah, it was sort of a can-she-carry-a-show. Right. And she can. I oh mean, my God. Michelle, it's amazing. <laughs> oh my God, so, what, Brie? Uh, yeah. <laughs> she can carry a show. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just yeah. had a chill thinking about her scenes here. Like, I've loved her for years. But man, she's... When she, instead, when she's not doing the snipping snide remarks, 
uh, because her character's hurting in this season. Uh, man, she can do, she can act so well. Oh. Well, even Saru pointed that out. He said her barbs were glorious. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, I agree. Yeah, total agreement. Uh, and Michelle Yeoh is amazing. She's always been amazing. And I was so excited to see her in Discovery right from the outset. Um, you know, when when I tuned into the first episode of Discovery and I was like, oh, Michelle Yeoh, yay. <laughs> and then she died. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, but Michelle Yeoh. <laughs> um so it was really exciting to have the mirror universe of her back and i would assume it was fun for her to play two versions of the same character and i've always assumed that for any star trek actor who gets to play a mirror universe version of themselves how much fun is that to get to play this alternate version and how much fun is an actor to get to do that sort of character development because you have to think, I'm the same person and my motivations are probably related but a little bit different. So I've got to find a new tack that lets me keep this character as this character, but not this character. Yeah. And that's such a, a really fun challenge to think about. And I just how much fun, you know, did. Sonequa Martin Green have playing evil Burnham. Yeah. Right? You could tell she relished that at times, that it was just fun to play. <laughs> but she's still Burnham. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I would assume that Michelle Yeoh had fun with that because it just seems like such an interesting challenge. So mm-hmm. yeah, I I enjoyed watching her do it, but I I did enjoy the like the more caring contemplative moments that she showed in this. That's that's a big thing for me. Like like all through her scenes in discovery, all the seasons up till now, she's had to play that caricature of a character. And usually her scenes, she's not the focus. Usually it's someone else. And now she finally got the folk camera on her and we get to see these heartfelt moments. Yeah. That were so well done. And, Oh, just oh. so good. <laughs> uh-huh. So good. We get to see her actually act besides doing the caricature of a character. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like the flip side. Yeah. yeah. It's the flip side of people from like the regular cast getting to play their evil selves. Mm-hmm. Here she is getting to finally play like a a different non sort of evil nasty version of her character. Oh. <laughs> and she was really torn when this past week, that character, because in the Terran Empire, she would slaughter entire races left and right. When she first came to the Prime Universe, she was ready to blow up Kronos. Yeah. And now, after a couple of years in Section 31 and on Discovery and with our Prime Michael, she has to go back to that original context. And she finds, as Carl said, that you don't really fit there anymore. She made very different decisions. She stopped slaughtering Kelpians for food. She disrupted the coalition through diplomatic means. Uh, it was, do did you find that it was believable that she wouldn't immediately go back to her Terran ways? Yes, I did. Because she's still, she's still somewhat ruthless. Like there, you never get the feeling that she 
doesn't think that the um, the coalition needs dealing with. But it almost you get the impression that she feels like it's almost just too much fuss to go and you're drawing attention to yourself. She's thinking long term in ways that she wasn't thinking before. Hmm. I feel like she's thinking, how can I make sure the empire survives after me? Not just how can I make sure that the empire is strong right now? Mm-hmm. And going and blowing a whole bunch of things up makes me look strong right now, but it maybe puts me in a weaker position later. She even mentioned Genghis Khan and how he learned that you have to let people worship their own gods, which was interesting because it made me wonder what mirror universe Genghis Khan is like. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> nice guy. You know? <laughs> it's like, hey, let's all unify. All right. That's sweet. Yeah. <laughs> one, of the, one of the ways I tried to frame my thinking of this episode was if it was prime universe Michelle Yeoh trying to pass herself off as Empress Georgiou, what would have been different? So, for example, I can imagine prime Georgiou doing some of the same things, like sparing all the Kelpians and using the diplomatic means. But then you still get the mirror, Georgiou, who says to Burnham, go slaughter all your teammates, and who originally put Burnham in the agonizer in the first place. Those are not things our prime Georgiou would have done. So there is still a lot of that mean streak to her. And I thought that was a interesting blend of who she was and who she is. Oh, she even said like she she is doing what she has to do to fit in basically. When she's talking to to Mira Saru. It's like uh he's like who are you? You are basically yeah. very much not the emperor Go I know. Back where you came from. <laughs> <laughs> and she tells him like like you have to do what you need to to survive. Mm-hmm. And that's her fitting in to survive here. That was an interesting wording from Saru, go back where you came from, because he even said, you're not Terran, and she is Terran, and this is where she's from, and yet she doesn't fit in. I mean, didn't they say earlier in another episode, God, maybe I'm misremembering, that there's an actual difference in how Terran's brains work? That's what implied, but I think the only physical thing we really know is, I mean, I mean, I mean uh, Glasses Guy has mentioned that. Yeah. Whether it's definitely. true or not. We don't know, or that's his interpretation. Yeah, I just, I thought that was really an interesting thing to state. And I was like, oh, really? Okay, Um, that's a little weird. But if that's actually true, then she's actually managed to change her own, like, way of thinking. And I kind of like that there's that this idea that, oh, maybe we thought that, like, biology determined something about you but maybe it doesn't have to and Mm -hmm. that's now we see it we see that playing out that if it's true that her biology should have in theory dictated her being cruel and evil but she's not as much she still is cruel in some ways but she's thinking differently now then, yeah, you have this this idea that biology doesn't dictate who you are. And even at the end of the episode, when she thinks she's being sent back to the Terran universe, she says, no, I will not go back there. Yeah. You know, even though Saru said, go back where you came from, and that would be going back where you came from, she doesn't want to do it because she knows she doesn't fit in there. 
she would not last long. It feels like, I mean, <laughs> and she knows it. Yeah. 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 I was wondering when she let Saru go through the Varahai, what might be different in the mirror universe? Because not everything that is good here is bad there. Like, I love Chief O'Brien as an example. He's a good guy in any universe. Yeah. <laughs> but some things are different. And I was wondering, like, Saru is the one person who is kind of the same in both universes. And I wondered if that would remain true. And it did. But the Varahai could have turned him into a raging monster. You know, who knows? I and mean, he, he apparently did get super strength that allowed him to throw Culber up into the ceiling, which was awesome. We've seen that super strength before, but it's so yes. rare. And to see a Culber like launched up into the ceiling, <laughs> that's pretty fun. And when he comes out with his uh, machine gun phase uh, pistol, he's yeah. just like, holding yeah. it so awkwardly. It was hilarious. And he was the one cradling Georgiou's body as she died. And, yeah. her, and the rest of the crew was just standing there watching, which surprised me a little bit because I would think one of them would say, get your hands off her, you filthy Kelpian. I think maybe it's shock. <laughs> yeah, there was that too. Sh- shock. Uh, they you know, could see that for whatever reason, she trusted him in a different way than normal, nor- in normal situations like that. So all, a little bit of all of the above. Mm-hmm. But I wonder what his fate will be now that she's not there to protect well, him. We do know a little bit. He goes on to help a lot of people in whatever that means. Right. Carl said so. Yeah. Yeah. We we talked about that when we were talking about divergent timelines, but I'm I'm curious how that comes to pass because anybody who's in that room at that moment could just shoot him and say, Your emperor is not here to save you now. He didn't use his little neck spikes, did he? No. No, he, he didn't do those. that. <laughs> so maybe maybe he whips those out, <laughs> neck spikes everyone, and like grabs all the Kelpians on the ship and is like, all right, let's go. <laughs> he takes over the Corone, goes around calivanting around the universe, saving the Kelpians. I mean, he could be the next emperor. He could end up being evil. You have to be hard in this universe to survive. That's what I'm <laughs> going to teach my fellow Kelpians. Or maybe not that, but a, a rebel leader and like a ruthless rebel leader, um, you know, fighting against the Empire and in just as ruthless a way but fighting against the ruling power. Hugo helps start the Klingon-Cardassian alliance. There you go. (laughs) Although I did find it, that last scene where everybody was fighting in the agonizer room, that was kind of brutal, especially the way Nilsson died. Oh, yeah. Just a shot to the head, which they then went back and panned across to make sure you saw it. Right in the forehead. Yeah. It's got to hurt. I mean, not Or not. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I wish that Mira Culber, I don't think he got any lines. I think he had an amazing costume, but yeah, no, no lines. He just got to look evil with his grin. That's about it. And he has it. his grin when he's wearing red and just has that, just the eyes make the difference. Like it can be the same grin he's doing in happy prime universe. But when he has his eyes, it's just like, like oh man, yeah. he does it so well. <laughs> it's not surprising that he turned because the emperor killed his lover. That's right. Yeah. I didn't think of that. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, yeah, I'm here. Love it. You're like, oh, I'm dead. Uh- <laughs> I loved that scene when Burnham was just tossing badge after badge onto the table. So cool. I God. love that scene. And then, like, she does it. She names a few. Like, here's one. And here's another. And here's the rest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's just how committed she was to the deception that she was trustworthy again. 
that she was willing to kill all her former co-conspirators. I mean, honestly, Terran. I wouldn't oh, have yeah. expected anything other than from a Terran oh, oh, in right. that situation because if she knows that the conspiracy has been revealed and she knows that she's still got a job to do within it, then yeah, she's going to kill all the co-conspirators and they should expect no less from her. Right. Yeah. Instances of self-sacrifice in the mirror universe are practically non-existent. So I would not expect her to spare anybody or say, hey, I'm just doing this to fool her. Get out while you still can. No, no, no. Right. Although I am disappointed that when they finally hunted down Dugan, another one of her co-conspirators, that we didn't get to see the planet he was orbiting, which was Mirror Risa. I know! There were, I was looking, there were cities on it, but there's like no warp travel. So like, it's not the pleasure planet that we know. Because uh, they're like, there's no warp signatures in whatever, whatever uh, parsecs, you know, like whatever space unit they used. But um, that means it's not the resort that we think of it. I'm looking in Memory Alpha. It says, Risa in this episode is depicted as having a ring system Unlike in prior depictions, this may be a feature unique to the mirror universe. <laughs> so maybe maybe one of the moons exploded, and it, that would not make it a very good pleasure planet. <laughs> I mean, maybe, but like Vulcan has like, sometimes like no moon. Sometimes it has one. Sometimes it has two. I was I mean, reading about that recently. That's fascinating. Isn't Risa like mo- like isn't it terraformed or it's under a dome? Like the pleasure parts of it are under a dome or something? Let me look this up. I don't remember that. I'm looking at the memory alpha page for Risa. The word dome does not occur. I know they have a, like, I think nor does terraform. They have regions that have specific weather that they yeah, control. They I know they have weather really control. Nasty, like weather, if they're not doing weather control on it. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, that was like yes. one of the episodes that they were there like on TS9 or something like that. Yes. Uh, a technologically sophisticated weather control system that produced almost constantly desirable weather they also have industrial replicators and seismic regulators. Yeah, so think about the planet without all of that. Oh. Yeah, that would be very mirror like. That's like that was where I was going with that was they they they've made their planet real nice as a pleasure planet. But the planet without all of that technology is not that nice. Mm. It's, you know, got earthquakes. It's got um, you know, tremors. It's got nasty weather. So, yeah. When you talk about Mira Risa having tremors, I'm thinking of these giant worms underground. <laughs> Maybe they do. <laughs> <laughs> that would be very consistent. That'd be very on brand. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Like, when you think about places that have benefited from not only the Federation, but other groups of peaceful people roaming the galaxy. And then you look at the Terran universe and you're like, well, those probably don't exist. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, maybe Risa becomes more of like a survival planet. Right. Yeah. Like this is where you go for like survival training. Oh gosh. Prove yourself. <laughs> One thing I noticed that was really cool, I thought was neat, that they had uh, in the mirror universe, they had the Tantalus field that Kirk had in the mirror universe in TOS. 
Jojo, the, the the TV screen that she was looking at uh, had really good camera angles on Michael while she was <laughs> being tortured. Uh, it was a tantalus field. It was a th- the device that Kirk uses to kill people on the Enterprise. Miracle. We didn't we didn't see it used in that way though, did we? It was not used, but it was the exact same button layout and little weird uh, pointy knob thing. It was. I, I went back and looked like, oh, it's the exact same setup, like design. I love hmm. it. I thought it was just neat. A little cool, cool little callback. Little nod. Uh huh. I, I would think that the emperor would be almost untouchable if she had one of those. That's interesting. I wonder why they didn't use it. Uh, maybe didn't use it here for whatever reason. Like she didn't need to. She wasn't trying to kill anyone. It's true. I was I'm sorry. Go ahead, Amanda. No, it's true. She was, I mean, when she was looking to have people taken out, she had Burnham do it for her. And when she was using it in this episode, she was using it to watch. She wasn't going to kill anyone at that point. I watched this episode with my friend Kay, and they found that the amount of torture in this episode was a bit excessive. Uh, What do you think about that? It did not affect me. I can see how it would be a little much for a lot of people. Um, But it was kind of what I was expecting out of the Mirror Universe. Yeah, it wasn't too much for me personally, but like, yeah, like, but I mean, I watched some of, um, what's the, the Marvel TV show, the devil, daredevil, daredevil. Yeah. I got through halfway through that and there was a scene with a suburban door in a head that I'm like, okay, I'm done yep. with the show. I'm done with the show. I never went back. Uh, and that was a very short scene. So, I mean, it's all subjective, but for me here, this one is not mm, too big, but oof. Yeah. Daredevil. I, I kind of feel like the amount of torture that George subjected Burnham to was necessary in order to have scenes like the fireflies. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. You need that, that parallel. Mm-hmm. You need to have, you need to have seen how much they've broken her down or how much they think they've broken her down before it feels even remotely realistic that mirror Burnham would turn. Although, given that this was Mirror Georgiou, I somewhat suspected that she may have been fabricating that story about the fireflies and just saying, like, you probably don't remember this. You probably never woke up from these dreams, but this used to happen to you. And I wouldn't be surprised if that was a false memory she was trying to implant. Now that we have the context of the whole episode and how that character of Georgiou has evolved, I do believe it was true. But in the moment, I wasn't really sure. Oh, see, for me, I didn't question it. But because just for me... It was the, we've seen her soften so much. So at this point, uh, seeing a mirror universe person like this, like, for me, oh, geez. For me, that's all showed like, like, these people do have feelings, which is something we actually <laughs> rarely ever see. But they're just told to squash them down or you could be killed, especially when you're the emperor. You have to have this constant front when you're in public. And... For me, it was really big and really important and really good to see that there is still emotion in these characters when no one else is watching or when I think no one's watching. Mm-hmm. I mean, otherwise, the society would kill itself and it'd be done. Yeah, and I liked that no matter how, quote-unquote, weak Georgiou was becoming, especially in Burnham's eyes, Captain Killy never lost faith. Oh, yeah. No, she was 100% behind her. Oh, my gosh. When they were, they were chasing Duggan, the random character who he didn't really pay off anything for and even introducing yeah. but um when tilly was like 
this is this is something like basically beneath an empire and she's like i'll stay the camera goes back to tilly i thought she was going to have this huge eye roll when the emperor said she's going to stay but no she just tells him like go to warp and max warp whatever like that but the scene was like right on her face i thought we were just going to get this whole oh god <laughs> but no we didn't yeah when i think when tilly said let me take a shuttlecraft with Burnham. I thought that was very suspicious, and I didn't know what sort of collaboration they were implying the two of those characters had, uh, Killy and Burnham. But oh. it wasn't that at all. I, I, it was probably just Killy trying to spare Georgiou from whatever traitorous event Burnham was planning. I 100% thought that she was planning on killing Burnham in the shuttlecraft. <laughs> oh, okay. Same, so- same. Interesting, because Georgiou had very specifically said to Killy, as you're interrogating her, as you're breaking her, I very much want her alive, or else you'll be hearing from me. Uh, I think it's just normal Terran threat. I mean... <laughs> I, I, I took it as Killy being like, eventually I'm going to have to kill this this girl, and it's not going to be pretty, and it's for the best of the Empire, and maybe this is a test for me. But also, like... We also had um, two characters fighting in the corridors over position and a, a you know a promotion. So I think it, it would not have been at all un, unexpected for Killy to have killed Burnham and been like she started it. Oh, <laughs> <Yep. laughs> uh, she fell on my dagger. Oh. Uh, <laughs> she, fell, she ran into my knife. She ran into my knife nine times. I was just yeah. stabbing it in stabbing motion and she ran into it. You know, I can't help that. I'm just going to stab my knife into the air. <laughs> when you're interrogating somebody, there's really no excuse to let them die. But right. if, you know, if Burnham were to try to do something on that shuttlecraft, then you're right. Killy would have a reasonable excuse. It was self-defense yeah. or she was trying to betray you, whatever. She was not completely enthralled and trapped in a agonizer booth right so yeah i think now that you mentioned it killy was probably giving burnham an excuse to get killed right she was like if if anything happens if you blink wrong you're i'm gonna kill her and that's yep. gonna be it and she probably saw that as saving the emperor from herself in a way mm-hmm. because yeah okay, she's questioning the whole keeping Burnham alive thing. Mm-hmm. And she's not ever going to question her emperor out loud that much. But she definitely still thought it was maybe a bad idea. Yep. And, you know, if if something happens on that shuttlecraft and she dies, oh, well. <laughs> well, just like in... Shucks. <laughs> just like in season one episode one i mean burnham and georgie were on the same side but burnham questioned her captain's orders yeah. and went against them for the hopefully for the greater good and sometimes you get somebody killed in the process yeah and in in the terran empire that that's just a matter of course yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's someone gets killed in the process it's just how that works mm-hmm. <laughs> Anything else to talk about the, at the Mirror Universe? I still want to talk a little bit about what happened on Discovery and, of course, the reveal midway through on the ice planet. Yeah. Uh, my notes. Let's see. Tantalus Field. Survive. That's how you honor them. Firefly scene. No, I'm good. Okay. <laughs> I did like part of the breaking down of Burnham that they um, – I don't know if you noticed, but her food trays get simpler and simpler. Oh, I did miss that. 
um, it starts out with like, she's got a full meal on her tray and she slams it against the wall. And the next one, it's like a bun and something with it. And the next one, like every one of them gets more bare bones until it's at last just a slice of bread. That's why it was just a slice of bread. Because Uh every one of the trays gets worse and worse. Um, So even if she's refusing to eat it, she's being given less to refuse to eat. So even if she like sneaks a bite, there's less for her to sustain herself with. Uh And I liked that that was a part of it, that it wasn't just a matter of the agonizer. Because that feels like something that you could really just especially in the like mirror episodes in general, you know, the agonizer, it's like, Oh, yep. Throw them in the agonizer. Oh, yep. More, more agonizer. Yep. The agonizer (laughs) is the only thing you do, but no, that's not the only way that they're breaking her down. They're also breaking her down by saying, okay, if you're not going to eat, we're not going to give you anything to eat. Hmm. So that's a very good eye for detail there. I totally missed that. Yeah. By the time she eats, there's, not much to eat. You know, we talked a little bit about Georgiou leaving toward the end of the episode. Uh, there were some nuances there that we didn't get to. Like she said that all the things she's learned from Prime Burnham, she had the opportunity to learn from somebody long ago, somebody named San, who we heard her crying her name in those flashbacks. Mm-hmm. You know, it's weird that this molecular structural breakdown from being in a different time in a different universe originally manifested itself as flashbacks you know we never really figured out what the tie-in was to her dying and that particular moment in her history and we still don't know who that character is oh we don't but yeah that's uh i really like that how how exactly you just quoted that she had a chance to learn this long ago like what does that mean is it because you mentioned the song was in a book i can't right now top my head is that a kid was it a relative do we know or is it just a name I didn't read the book, nor did okay, I read the right, synopsis, right. because I did, I, I'm I somebody who reads Star Trek novels, as you are, Brie, and it's possible that I may read that one, so I was avoiding spoilers, which, okay. as you know, I loathe. Yeah, so so that's okay. So, so this means like someone is important in her past, and I'm guessing we're going to get more information when the Section 31 show happens. Like, she's going to appear in a timeline where this prime one is here. Who knows? But... Mm-hmm. We're going to get more information later, but yeah, like who is this person that could have taught her to be good while still in the mirror universe long ago? Yeah. I mean, the options are almost limitless. It could have been a lover. It could have been a relative. It could have been a child, or it might've even been somebody from the prime universe. We don't know. Yeah. So. Uh, they're goodbye scene. I was just going to bring that up. That was where all the emotional weight, I think that the funeral scene at the end was front loaded into. I mean, rightfully so. These two are the only ones that really had a connection here. And it was really well done. I felt that. And even when they do their salutes goodbye, when Giorgio does her prime, or her mirror salute, Terran salute, and Michael does her Vulcan salute, like, oh, oh, it's so good. It's so good. It reminded me a little bit of First Contact, where the Vulcans give one salute, and Zephyr from Cochrane does a handshake. <laughs> they each have their own way of saying the same thing. Yeah, I I liked their goodbye scene. I thought it it carried a lot of emotional weight, um, and it did it well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that 
departure, of course, was made manifest by Carl. Carl! <laughs> now, Amanda, did you have theories after the end of part one as oh. to the nature of Carl? Um, like how much were you in on the people's predictions and suspicions or even the show here? I wasn't really looking at people's predictions or suspicions. Um, I I really wasn't sure what he was. But I will share with you something that my husband said after watching the first part of Terra Firma. He was like, wow, this, this episode feels really classic Trek. <laughs> right? We mm-hmm. said the same thing. I was like, oh, I tweeted out like this week on Star Trek, weird TOS uh, stuff. Yeah. Uh, cleaning it up. <laughs> it felt very TOS. Um, and then uh, the Guardian of Forever reveal happened and I literally shrieked. <laughs> uh, oh, I'm so glad. Ah! <laughs> oh my God! <laughs> <laughs> it was clutching my blanket up to my face. I was so excited by it. I thought you were going to say you were clutching your pearls. No, no. <laughs> I, I don't put on the pearls just to watch Star Trek. Oh, um, <laughs> oh I won't. We were talked about it a lot last week, but all the hints that were there was like this newspaper was the same newspaper from uh, the New York City uh, in the t- mm. past there, like the Star Tribune or Star, not Tribune, that's the Minnesota gotcha. paper, but the Star Dispatch. And it mentioned the, was it Third Street Mission or Fifth Street Mission, whatever it was. Mm. And so that's how people figured it out. Gotcha. Yeah, I hadn't really, and I'm not one who cares much about spoilers. Um, I am your opposite, Ken, on that. Um, I consider spoilers often to be a form of self-care for myself. Because sometimes they help me to know what level of expectation to go into something with so that I don't build it up too much in my own mind and then feel super disappointed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't mind knowing what's coming. To me, the, the journey is as important as the destination. Um, and knowing the destination doesn't really bother me as much as it bothers some people my husband is exactly the opposite he cannot abide spoilers (laughs) at all uh spoilers are anathema to him so i keep my spoilers to myself when i learn them but i don't go out of my way to avoid them i just wasn't really looking for them and they didn't hit my dash but um i did see one bit of speculation that um he was maybe a q and that was about it. So I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure if they were going to do a callback to another show and do Guardian of Forever or Q or something like that, or if they were going to have it be something completely new, because mm-hmm. that wouldn't be unheard of. I mean, it's not like Q came out of, not officially, came out of um, TOS that, you know, they introduced new things. There, there are new things in each show that have these sort of um, these entities that have knowledge of the the universe in a way that your normal characters don't. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the other. I mean, TOS and TNG were full of omnipotent beings, yeah, or they, of some kind. They, they definitely were, but they didn't always, you know, repeat themselves. And then you, you, the prophets. Mm-hmm. In DS9, that wasn't something the you know the Bajoran belief system wasn't something that we had explored terribly fully in T 
TNG by the time we, we got the beginning of DS9. So there's always been these sort of threads of beings that do stuff in uh, outside of you, you puny mortals, uh, Ken. Um, and so I wasn't, I wouldn't have been surprised if it was something brand new, but I was really excited that it wasn't. <laughs> I, I liked the callback. I watched the first few moments of City on the Edge of Forever yesterday. And even there, the Guardian's like, the answer is through the door. The door is the answer. Whatever. All this weird, <laughs> weird stuff. Oh, it's, it's it's obvious now if you've seen that episode it's anytime recently. It's been so long but, since uh, I've watched me it. Me too. It had been to me too. Uh, I was reading something this morning. I wish I would say the link. Apparently, the writers have been trying to figure out a way to put the Guardian in the show for a while and they had even toyed with q being this instead of the guardian and they're like they found a way to fit the guardian in much better and i i I would agree i think it fits perfectly i i think it definitely fits better than q would have because q would have added a sense of like trickster nonsense in there which i love the q continuum and their trickster nonsense but um you don't always feel like Q has a sort of solemnity to it in general. Yeah. Um, the continuum in general doesn't have that sort of solemnity to it. Um, in the same way that the Guardian of Forever does. And I mean, Carl definitely had a sense of humor, but his purpose wasn't to make mischief and see what results. And you only really see that sort of sense of purpose out of Q later in TNG. You only really get it in, like, Tapestry and um, All Good Things. Most of your other prior dealings with Q are Q being a brat, basically. So I liked that they went with the more serious tone. I will say that the Guardian of Forever has evolved a lot since we last saw him. (laughs) Now, in his original appearance in the TOS episode City on the Edge of Forever, it's unclear if it is a machine if it's sentient, who built it? And this time we see he's a a personified character. We suspect that there's still something artificial about him because when he manipulates the portal to send Georgiou back, you see him raise his hand and interact with some sort of a digital interface. And we don't know if that is part of him, if it is separate from him. And also, he has almost human-like morals and ethics he's not just a machine that lets people do whatever they want he says temporal soldiers were using me to kill others and i wasn't a fan of that and also he was weighing georgiou and so whatever his nature or origin he has some sort of a value system that is understandable by us humans i don't have much to say other than yeah i think you hit spot on uh yeah (laughs) And he's also apparently capable of more than we saw in TOS. It's not just a time portal. He can create perhaps pocket dimensions and travel into other existing dimensions. It's far more uh, flexible (laughs) than we thought. Yeah, if it's not a pocket, he can at least see the different alternatives right? uh, in multiple dimensions. Uh, Such third dimensional thinking uh, we have. (laughs) And it's also, it's not, if I'm remembering correctly from City on the Edge of Forever, 
the scenes from history sort of flash on the surface. Mm -hmm. And that's not at all what this was. Um, No, I think he mentions like a maker or like, Kirk is like, can you just show us a specific time? He's like, no, I can only show it at this speed. Right. Oh, I am omnipotent, but I am limited. (laughs) (laughs) uh, So there's some limits to him. Maybe he did a lot of self-reflection living alone for so long. He was just able to really hone in on it, on, on his skills, practice a lot. <laughs> or even the temporal war might have made him like, oh man, this stuff. I didn't think it would be too big a deal now. Oof, da. <laughs> yeah, I did like the references to the temporal wars. Yeah. And he's even able to re- physically relocate himself, and yet in a way that the sphere data found predictable. Yeah, you know, time and space are like one and the same, so I could see him moving around. Yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, that the sphere data could figure it out. Hmm. It's just interesting connection. It's interesting to me because in the city on the edge of forever, it looks like the guardian exists among ruins, mm. and you wonder if, first of all, like was he the cause of whatever happened to these people? How did he or it survive? And yet here, we're presented with the possibility that the Guardian Forever is completely divorced from the context in which he was originally discovered. That might have just been where he was hanging out that day. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> eh, I think I'll be on this planet today. I like the ruins. They're pretty. <laughs> Even though we couldn't see him when Michael and Georgiou originally arrived, for all we know, he wasn't even there yet. And showed up when they arrived? Yeah. We don't know. I I like the idea that the sphere data was able to predict it. I'm wondering if, you know, he's a, a temporal entity. It's an entity that is able to um, produce time travel, right? So as we know from Star Trek, temporal stuff can be um, – it can be sensed for like there, there are ways to use sensors to discover temporal rifts and the like. Right. So I like the idea that maybe it's not constantly giving off anything in a way that like anyone's looking for, but the sphere was advanced enough to be able to tell that there's something here and Oh, it was also over here at this other time and it's been here at this other time and it has this particular signature to it that says, oh, it can travel in time and through universes. Cool. There's your answer. Good luck. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Have fun. <laughs> Dress warm. Although, you know, we were, we were talking about how there are a couple of different plots in this episode, including what was happening on the Discovery. I found it to be very unfortunate editing that Carl reveals himself to be the guardian of forever. And we immediately cut back to discovery, which has nothing to do with what's happening on the planet, which surprised me because when the guardian was first discovered in TOS, they were specifically going to that planet because they were on red alert after going through some violent time distortions surrounding the planet. And so I highly expected Discovery to say, well, as soon as the Guardian revealed himself, Captain, our sensors are going off the scale. Like something is happening down that planet, but we can't tell where or even when it's happening. And none of that occurred. It was like, oh, here's something really interesting that's happening. Let's cut away to something that 
as unrelated and less interesting. You're right. It was completely disconnected. Like it's almost yeah. like they they filmed this stuff from Discovery like a week or two. Like I mean, obviously they did because outside scenes and like that. But they just like the filming of these feels so divorced and so unconnected, except for where they forced them to be together. Like oh, she's back. I'm gonna go take care of her. Or we're going out here. Like otherwise, the scenes on Discovery could have been anywhere and fit into any episode almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, going back to the this just feels odd in this placement. Yeah, I feel like they could have continued the scene on the ice planet without interruption up until the moment Georgiou left and then cut to Saru talking to the holographic admiral. And you can infer from what is discussed in that scene that Book applied Osiris technology to figure out the subspace communication. We didn't actually need to see that spelled out. If you think about it, it was implied in everything that came afterward. So that, I mean, that also tells me like, oh, if this is displayed, like showed to us on screen, that this is going to be important in the future. And that puts me to, can we trust the device books as he used it on his ship? Can we trust it? I mean, that's, that's a segue here, but uh, I guess, but I wasn't trying to push it off the other topic, but you're right. Like everything there was kind of like, uh, could have been off screen. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I found it suspicious that they were suspicious of book because I mean, I have, Wi-Fi repeaters in my house. And that's basically all he was using. It's not like full of malware and it's not downloading their database. They have more reason to be suspicious of Georgiou, who for a brief while there was inadvertently helping control last season. We've never seen any such malice from Book. Uh, Except for the first episode where he left Michael to her own. True, but Discovery has not seen any of that. And that was a year. And I feel like they're not going to go that route for him. No. Or if they do, man, it feels like a doing him dirty. Yeah, it does. I really like his character. Um, mm-hmm. I like, I like what we've seen of him. I like what's been implied of him. Um, I like that he's grown as a character. I feel like they've done a really good job with him this season of letting him grow as a character in ways that feel natural without needing to spend massive amounts of time on him in every episode um which i think the show does struggle with which we were talking about that like the minor characters don't always get a chance to really have uh character growth in ways that we recognize um so yeah i i feel like you're right say real it would be doing him dirty to do that to him as a character because i don't think I think they've done they've too, done too much good with him to mm-hmm. do that. Um, but I also understand the sort of reticence to accept that what he's doing is safe. I don't think they think it's malicious. I think they think we're in a, a time and place that we we know very little about, and we know that there are some very nasty forces out there that don't have our best interests at heart. And how much do we really know about the technology that we're using? How much do we really know about this person who's giving it to us? We have to be careful, even if we want to believe that he's, you know, checked this thing over or that he doesn't have any ill will towards us. We still have to be so careful. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
last week I questioned like what's going to happen to the Federation? Like the way they were talking, like, oh, something big is gonna happen while Discovery is away. And this week I left feeling more like, oh shoot, Vance sends Discovery away, not only to help Giorgio, but to keep the Delithium and the ship away from these quote-unquote military exercises. Uh, he's protecting an asset. Mm, yes. I, that's, that's my hypothesis here. Hmm. I'll go. So this goes into that. not watching the preview this time. So. <laughs> <laughs> Although I was theorizing that we kind of have two characters this season who have redemptive arcs, Book and Georgiou. And I suspected that if Georgiou was successful in saving herself, that 5% chance of being cured, that it would be in order to make the ultimate sacrifice later in the season. She's no longer around to do that. So that kind of puts the pressure on Book. <laughs> yeah, it's oh. got to be Book now. Or Adira, which I think, but I think it's going to be Book. I mean, when have long-term relationships ever been established and successful in Star Trek? Other than Cisco and Cassidy. And even that had a couple of bumps along the way. Only uh, O'Brien? And okay. Yeah. No. I think that's my... Oh, and Paris and Bellana. Okay. That's true. But they are... You're right. They are uncommon. And Riker and Troy. Riker and Troy, I would say, had a long journey. <laughs> yeah. We get we get one a series. Yeah, I mean, I can sort of think of exceptions for all of those, like Balana and Paris, already main characters. O'Brien and Keiko, already minor characters. You know, Burnham is a main character, and they're introducing somebody new in season three to be her partner. I mean, what does that spell for his future? Is he going to become a main character, or is he going to become a minor character like Bryce that we yeah. rarely ever see? Or is he going to ride off into the sunset? Yeah. Oh, and Kira and Odo. But you're right. Uh, <laughs> I had like, oh, there's more. I don't want to get any nasty messages from friends. Um, but yeah, what does that mean? Like, like, does he get added to the show? I mean, the show is so full of minor characters. I guess I could see it where he's just around once in a while. I mean, like hell, even Jet decided. I even laugh about a. Stamets is like, where the hell have you been? Like, I haven't <laughs> seen you in forever. <laughs> Yeah. Not supposed to have food well, in here. That and that was a good scene with Book as well because they're like, "You're supposed to have food in here." She's like, "It's candy. It doesn't count." Uh, and he's and he's like, "I read the manual." And then he like, makes comments. <laughs> yeah. And then he, and then he's like, "Because he read the manual, he can tell Jet, no, candy's not allowed here. Food's not allowed. You're <laughs> supposed to have that." Uh, <laughs> it was a fun little scene. Uh, but yeah, okay, yet another minor character for us to have to focus on now. Well, you know, I could see Saru going to him and saying, hey, we just lost Michelle Yeoh. We have an opening in the cast. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Although even Michelle Yeoh, when she appeared, it was not in every episode this season. And her appearances were listed as special guest star in the opening credits. You know, so she I, was never considered part of the permanent cast. That's true. I did notice that because I actually watched the credits this time. <laughs> but I did forget. <laughs> I mean, let's be fair. Michelle Yeoh is very special. She is. So. <laughs> I, I'm i torn on where Book fits in to things. Um, <clears throat> because I really like the character, as I've mentioned. And I really like what they've done with him so far this season. But, yeah. It, 
How are they going to keep him around? How are they going to justify keeping him around? Um, where does he fit in with this crew? Does, you know, he take off at some point? But yeah, I, I don't know where they're going with him. And I, I'm kind of dreading having him be a sacrifice. Not yet again. We already had a book die this way as a sacrifice. We can't no. do it again. <laughs> no. Firefly, if you don't know the reference. I, yes. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, there still remains a lot to be seen. And we have only a few episodes left in this season. We are definitely coming down to the home stretch. We've got, what, like three I, episodes? Yeah. I think so. Yeah, three left. And as far as I know, I haven't seen that one of them is called That Hope Is You Part 2. I still think they're doing weird stuff with these titles. Mm. I know, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm <laughs> looking at the last three episodes' titles right now. Um, and yeah, I'm not seeing that. I mean, maybe it'll be like kind of how All Good Things in TNG was Encounter at Farpoint Part 2. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we're going to just come back to some, apparently we're probably going to get some similar themes to the first episode of the season at some future point. Yeah. yeah. Or, or unification part where. three, you know, that was how many years, 20, 30 years yeah. apart. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. All right. Any closing remarks about terra firma part two? Uh, no, I said my thing. I liked it, but it didn't fit. <laughs> yeah. It felt like a, a, it felt like a, a holiday special. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, that's what you I was know? saying last week. It's it's her, it's a wonderful life moment. Yeah, very much. And much as I liked it, um, I do feel like it, it, backdoor pilots don't usually take up two parters. So, hmm. yeah. Like, I can't think of another backdoor pilot that was a, a two-parter in a season without any other two-parters. I'm thinking yeah. of all the shows I know that have done backdoor pilots and I can't think of any. Even Highlander didn't pull that nonsense. I mean, a lot of spin-offs don't have such deliberate attempts to set the character off, which is what sure. a backdoor pilot does. For example, Frasier is a spin-off of Cheers, but there was no backdoor pilot within Cheers. It's just like, oh, people like Frasier. Right. We should give him a show. Yeah, and I know people who watched several seasons of Frasier without even realizing it was a spinoff. They're like, oh, it's related to Cheers? Yeah, I mean, there are a bunch of shows that you don't realize are spinoffs. There's um, oh God. There's a whole bunch of them where you're like, oh, right, that character was in that show. Huh. And then, of Very course, there's the whole, like, Tommy Westfall universe thing. I don't know if either of you know. The you talking about the, the the snow globe thing? Yeah, the Tommy yeah. the Tommy Westfall theory is that almost all television exists in a single universe. Oh no! Oh, look it up. It's it's bonkers. It's great. <laughs> okay, I'll include a link to that in the show notes. Yeah, it's a glorious, <laughs> it huge is. spider web of shows that have to exist because of this. It, it, it's like, oh well, this character crossed over into this show. So they definitely take place in the same universe. But then because this other character crossed over, like character from show A crossed into show B. So A and B take place in the same universe. But then 
character from show C also crossed over into show B, which means that A and C also take place in the same universe. And it's this spider web that goes from there. And there are like certain points that are like hubs for that. Like Law and Order is a big hub for that sort of thing. Um, And yeah, it it connects things that you would not even remotely think are connected. (laughs) But if, if every crossover means that those two shows take place in the same universe, then eventually the, the network uh, hits so many things. <laughs> Thank you. Was it General Hospital? Oh, it was the original? I think maybe. Or, I mean, wasn't Tommy Westfall like St. Almost Fire or something? Oh, it might have been that one, yeah. yeah. But anywho, uh, that's that, those are our final thoughts on Discovery, is uh, <laughs> this whole web. <laughs> you know, I think one of my action items after this podcast is to go watch the animated series episode yesteryear oh, season one episode two i've never seen it uh-huh. but it features the guardian of forever it does Yay. it does i mean i've read several star trek novels that feature the guardian and we know that those aren't canon technically the animated series isn't either but i've seen and heard yesteryear referenced so often that i feel like i already know the story i should finally just sit down and watch it but the animated series is so funny, and it has Cations in it. Yeah, yes, it does. <laughs> That's that makes me so happy, and it has. <laughs> and yeah, it's so bad, but I love it. <laughs> awesome. Um, and I mean, if, if anything, I'll finish with. I think what we're seeing is very much of a theme with the mycelial network thing, that everything is connected. That we've got this web in um, in the universe of this show that, yeah, okay, we've brought back the Guardian of Forever. And we've got different universes linked by different characters moving between them. Everything is connected in some way or another. Maybe mysterious ways, but yeah. Well, I look forward yeah. to the day when we can all be connected again, watching Star Trek in person. <sighs> yeah. One decade, we'll do that again. <laughs> Amanda, do you have any online presences you want to plug for our listeners? Um, no, none of them are really connected to Star Trek. It's you were just saying everything is connected. Everything is connected, <laughs> but yeah, I um, my online presences tend to be pretty private. So cool. Okay, sounds good. Well, we hope that you will join us for a future episode, at least. Oh, I hope so too. It's always yay. Fun. Until next time. Hit it. <laughs> if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes and keep your hailing frequencies open by following us on Twitter at TransporterLock or subscribing to our podcast and email newsletter at TransporterLock.com. Hello and welcome to Transporter Lock episode number 70 for Saturday, December 19th, 2020. I'm your co-host, Chief Engineer Ken Gagney. Save real. Oh, usually you have a little like, and I'm joined this week. Because <laughs> 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 now I ruined my timing. Oh, oh, oh goodness. Okay. Um, well, now I can't do my joke. Oh, <laughs> dang it. Pretend. Whoop. Dang it, I can't even set that up because I need you. Oh, okay, I am the guardian oh. of forever.
<laughs> That's what I was gonna do when you're like, it was so good, and it's all messed up now. Man, I'll reintroduce you. I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm not, no, I think you should keep it this way. I'm Captain Sabriel Maston. I'm I'm keeping this as our blooper. This oh, is going in the show, but we can definitely redo the intro. <laughs> Here, let me start over. Oh, now it's all ruined. Oh. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Transporter Lock, episode number 70 for Saturday, December 19th, 2020. I'm your co-host, Chief Engineer, and joining me as always is my other co-host. See, yeah, that didn't work either. Well, what do you want? What do you want from me, Sabriel? What do you want? <laughs> work with me here. You have to talk to me. So, well, usually you go, you, you don't even, uh, there's a wording you usually do, and I can't even, how do you usually do it? And you joining like, me as always. Yeah, like that. Okay, fine. And so that's, yeah, you're throwing me off and you didn't fine. even know it. You didn't even know you're throwing me off. This is the worst part. <laughs> I refuse to be original then. I will go back to my template and I'll just be a robot. I'll send you a recording so you can have the show without me from now on. Oh, no, no. Just the intro. <sighs> fine. 